folks, and welcome to the Sense and Theory podcast, where we cut through the bias and extremism in order to find common ground that brings us together. I'm Sense. And I'm Theory. And today we're going to be talking about lobbying and government ethics reform and all those things that, you know, we brought up on the show before that we feel most Americans can agree need some serious attention. That's right. When we talk about common ground and bringing us together, uh, I think there are some things we're going to talk about today that are no brainers, that are yeah. things we can absolutely rally around and hopefully get past to uh, save this uh, great American experiment. Yeah, no, it's exciting because there's actually legislation in either House of Congress right now that aims to address those specific issues. And it's actually, it's a movement that's being spearheaded by the Democrats. In fairness, uh, the House, fresh off winning, you know, their majority in the recent midterms, they've introduced H.R. 1. And then there's another bill introduced by Senator Warren in the Senate that we're going to talk about today. But before we do that, uh, you know, we wanted to... You know, give another big thanks to our Patreon supporters, and we actually have two new ones this week. That's right. So, uh, Dustin, thank you for your generous donation. Uh, I'm a little sad that you are a Beanzo buddy, uh, but your five bucks still spins. So thanks for coming on board. Thanks for supporting the show, man. Well, if that hurts your feelings, I got bad news, because we actually have a new Tall Bike supporter, Marty. And, you know, first off, thank you. But... Marty said that he wants to make it very clear that his donation is in full support of Beanzo and all that Beanzo does. What a jerk. So, yeah, no, it is it is kind of jerk mode. Uh, we've got some other Patreon news. Um, we have actually changed our goal. Well, we met our we first We met our Patreon first goal. goal. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So big thank you to you guys. Uh, so we've added a new one. Now we're shooting for $100 a month. That's right. And this is to upgrade our interface and our kind of infrastructure Right now we're on like an eight-year-old uh, audio interface, and sometimes it just craps out. We got a little flashy, blinky red light on there that'll come on in the middle mm -hmm. of recording. We got to unplug everything, plug it back in. Sometimes we even have to reboot the whole computer. Um, the, the thing isn't even manufactured anymore. It's not supported <laughs> by the manufacturer. It's pretty awful. Um, so we'd like to get that replaced and on some modern hardware. That'll also give us another mic input. Like right now we've got our third mic daisy chained through oh, this yeah. other uh, piece of equipment. No. It's, it's really awful. It's probably a fire hazard, to yeah, be honest. No, no. In, in last episode when we were doing Fermi, uh, you know, we had Pedro here, and I couldn't even see him. Like, the way we had to run the mics, he was actually behind me. And I, I'm telling you, folks, like, when you're trying to do a podcast and you're trying to, like, have a conversation with somebody, you can't see them but you can almost like you feel can them feel on their your eyes neck, you on your I mean? back. Yeah. yeah, no, it weirds you out, man. So we would definitely appreciate that. That would definitely help us as far as you know bringing guests on and stuff. And also, uh, you know, we won't have to cross our fingers every time Beanzo hits save. You That's know right. what I mean? That's right. So, um, so that goal is a hundred bucks. We've met our twenty-five dollar goal. We got windscreens for the mics. So hopefully, absolutely. when I say, p p p you won't hear these crazy. P pops in the mic <laughs> it's gonna be a good gonna, thing i almost felt like we were doing an impromptu beatbox session yeah, yeah you want me to no no actually okay don't. All right. uh, i'll tell you what instead of doing that why don't we just go ahead and jump into the bills sounds good um so first up this week the house just passed uh hr1 what they're they're calling it the for the people act and the idea uh of this this Fairly sizable bill. Fairly sizable. <laughs> yeah. You you sent me this bill, and I'm like scrolling through. It is over 500 pages. That's yeah. not fairly sizable. Well, that is an impossible task to read, digest, and and I I can't imagine anyone voting on it. Honestly, well, I mean, it's it's fairly sizable for our Congress. And you know what's interesting about it is actually HR one, uh, one of the sponsors was John Sarbanes, 
And if you remember, we talked previously on the show. Sarbanes-Oxley, right? He did the Sarbanes-Oxley bill, which was, oh God, I think it was like 900 pages. Beanzo, there you go. But uh, <laughs> yeah, he. so the man is no uh, you know, stranger to giant whopping bills. And but, I've got to say, uh, large bills sometimes are important. You want to yeah. catch all the loopholes. You want to make sure legislation is... Um, uh, you know, is accurate and things. You, you want to make sure it covers all the bases. Uh, at the same time, I want government to be transparent. Um, right. And reading through this bill, the language was not very, very transparent. You know, the yeah. way it's written yeah. uh, is just very difficult to digest. Uh, I'm sure Congress members have a have a hard, have the same <laughs> oh. hard time I do. Oh you know? no, I promise you that Congress members don't have any better. You know, it's it's <laughs> difficult for them too. Now their clerks and and you know and and their interns and all that stuff. They can read this stuff. Oh, and but, they're lobbyists. Know, yeah, yeah. And, and <laughs> well, you know what? Speaking of lobbyists, uh, this bill, it has three sections. It's, uh, and it's, it's, you go right down the list. Section A is like voting rights. Section B is campaign finance reform. And little old section C is ethics. And we'll, we'll get to that towards the end there. But um, what you see in this bill, like right off the bat, is it's a lot of, uh, you know, the Democratic talking points sure. over the last few years. That's what they're trying to address with this bill. And uh, so I think, you know, we saw it pass uh, through the democratically controlled House this week. But yeah, it's pretty much going to be DOA on the Senate, at least for now. Now, something- that's a shame because let, let's get into some of the some of the points in the in the bill, because there are a lot of things um, that we've talked about on this show that right. we've advocated for. Yeah. Um, one after another, it seems yeah. like, at well, least in the beginning of the bill. Well, right off the bat, uh, this bill will make Election Day a federal holiday. Okay. And we talked about that. I think that's something we both uh, want to see happen. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, in addition to that, I also like that it gives uh, uh, some federal employees like an extra six days vacation to uh, to go out and man the polls. Now, they only get to take those days if they're actually going to work at the precincts and you makes know. sense, but no, it, you know, encouraging people to get involved in, in, you know, their, their civic functions and all that stuff. Yeah. That's great, man. Um, the other things that it does, uh, it's going to federal law. They are going to supersede the States and say that you have to mandate, uh, or you have to have same day voter registration. Uh, you have to have 15 day early voting periods. Uh, there has to be online registration and the automatic driver's license registration that we had talked about yeah. back during our voter fraud. And, and that's something that we talked about that, you know, there's there's ups and downs to that. What what I think the problem is here, um, once you start dictating to states how they're going to handle things, yeah. I think you run into issues with states rights people. Right. I mean, I think I think you've got people who go, whoa, 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 keep the federal government out of my state government. Yeah. Um, so it's just a barrier uh, well, to getting think, something like this passed. And I think especially when it's something as contentious as this, it's not like the 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 automatic driver's license registration systems are functioning perfectly. Like, you know, I would like them to. But I also acknowledge the fact that, you know, in California, I think there was an issue with like twenty three thousand voters who got registered to the wrong party or something like that. You know, I can't remember yeah. exactly. So so when you have something like that, that, that you've got splashy headlines that like this is flawed, 
And then you're going to say, states, you have to do this. Of course, you're going to get opposition. Yeah, you know? so you're going to get some pushback. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, uh, they're also going to crack down on the criteria for voter roll purges. Hey, um, require- that's a old, old Georgia buddy, right? He's going to be hurt by that one. Yeah, no, that's true. But then also, let's not forget, in again, in our voter fraud episode, the numerous people who were on the rolls who were dead and voting and you know what I'm saying? So I I think you're going to see some pushback there, but a place where I think we've kind of kind of crested the mountain is, uh, this bill also restores voting rights to felons. All right. And again, as I, you know, as I've been saying in recent episodes, I think there is a groundswell movement that is, that is pushing us over the top on that. Right. There's, there's Republican support. There's Democrat support. Uh, we come both sides and I think we're all talking about restoring voting rights to felons in some capacity at some point. Yeah. Uh, you kick it on down to the campaign finance section, and this thing absolutely goes after Citizens United uh, in its own way. For one, the bill has a provision where Congress says that they feel that Citizens United was unconstitutional. It's like, it's kind of like a, uh, it's almost like a resolution. It's uh-huh. like Congress saying, "Hey, we need to do something about right. that." Setting setting up some um, some some structure for the future for future right. discussions. Right. But then, as far as like teeth. Uh, this will mandate the disclosure of the donors over ten thousand uh, dollars behind politically active five hundred one c. They call them social welfare organizations, but basically super PAC. And it's funny because I was I was pretty excited about this bill. I was like, oh man, these guys must listen to the Sense and Theory podcast. Like yeah. they're on a roll here. They got all this stuff going on. And I and I look at something like this, and and you say teeth, I say toothless. Uh, it, you're disclosing the donors yeah. like you're not stopping them from donating you're just saying oh here we'll take the masks off mm-hmm. we'll show you who we are but but what do you do about it so what now we know you've donated ten thousand dollars and people are just going to donate nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine dollars instead yeah. of ten thousand yeah. dollars you know to me this is the ultimate in uh in in too little too late yeah. Uh, like, like do something big about super PACs. We need to fix it. Well, it's- they kind of did actually, they, they took a step and this will completely squash sidecar super PACs. So basically super PACs that support an individual candidate. Uh, those are over and done with. You can't do those anymore. So you, you can't can only, do a party. You can, yeah, you can, you can do a party, you can do an issue, stuff like that, but you cannot do a specific candidate. Okay. And, and, you know, and that was basically a way to just completely subvert uh, you know, campaign finance laws, you know what right. I'm saying? Like you could, you've got all this free ad time and now you can direct your campaign, uh, uh, money towards other avenues and stuff like that. So, yeah. okay. So that, there's, there's some teeth in that. They also set up a new matching program, uh, to basically to encourage, uh, candidates running for the house of representatives, uh, to go with small donor only, uh, you know, campaign finance policies basically. So if you'll say that you're only seeking small donors, then you can get in a match program where basically the U.S. government will match your campaign six to one. Right. I, I like that. So that's like setting up kind of a public fund for elections. Maybe this will help small uh, small campaigns get off the ground. Mm-hmm. Maybe we'll even see uh, some some third parties coming out, some fourth parties, some fifth parties, um, and and taking advantage of this to you know to get off the ground. Yeah, it's uh, you know I'm definitely not going to say that I don't want it. It's a step in the right direction. But I mean, you know, we talked about how hard it is to to get a third party going, and you know, I want to see, I want to see a lot more to help third parties. I want to see a lot of the debate, you know, rules change and everything. Now, one of the big things that this bill did was it has uh, changed the make or it would change the makeup of the FEC. 
So the Federal Elections Commission, as you know, right now is a six-person panel. This bill would actually make it a five-person panel. And so, you know, it obviously, if you just think about it for a second, it's hard to get a decision made on rule changes if you have six people on a panel. You have right. ties all the time, right? Because, you know, people get appointed. You've got three Republicans. You've got three Democrats. And all of a sudden, we've got gridlock. So you so, kind of need an odd number. So someone's breaking the tie. Yeah, just like the Supreme Court. You really, you need that odd number so that you can break a tie. So perhaps we will see... Uh, you know, some of those FEC rules that have traditionally kept out independents and third parties, maybe we will see some change. Now, there's still going to be Democrats and Republicans sitting on that FEC commission, <laughs> but hey, you know, that's what they did. I give them credit for doing at least that. Um, they've also uh, went uh, straight at Trump, in a straight sense. Straight at his throat. Uh, there is a, a provision in the bill that the president and the vice president must release their tax returns, uh, you know, while in office and I think for a couple years before. Yeah. Yeah. So. And that, of course, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, I want to see if our if our president is a is a tax fraud, is a tax cheat. I want to see where the money's coming from and what he's got. It just makes sense. Yeah. It just makes sense. But, you know, me. that that. Uh, it brings up an interesting point about this bill. Like, you know, we talked about some of the, the voting rights initiatives. And now you've got this, this tax bill thing with Trump, right? There's also a section in there that combats gerrymandering. Oh, yeah. Right? And so what they want to do is they want to go above the states and, and basically adopt independent panels that will be responsible for drawing the districts within a state. They want to completely take that power from the state legislatures. Right. And, and, and this, this is, this is really starting to look like a partisan attack at this point to me, uh, right. because who has, who has taken advantage of gerrymandering rules in recent history? Yeah. Um, you know, to, to their, to their political advantage. Well, Republicans have. Yeah, no, absolutely. Since uh, and, 2010, absolutely. And granted, uh, Democrats will too, if they're in a position to. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so fixing those rules, they're, they're, it's important to me. But when you start stacking a bill with these things that are, that are like going at the opposition's throat and you're yeah. asking a Republican Senate to pass it, yeah. you've got to all of a sudden ask them to, it's almost like admitting to all of the wrongs that the Democrats have been throwing at them, you know, yeah. left and right. Like, how do you legitimately expect them to pass a bill that is just stacked to the gills with a, with a tax? Well, I think some people would say that to an extent, no matter what a Democratic House is going to pass, like if it's a, if it's a Pelosi bill or if it's a Sarbanes bill, or, you know, it's like it's a, the, the Republican Senate is going to fight it, right? That Mitch McConnell is going to fight it because you don't want the Democrats to have a moment in the sun. Yeah, right? you don't want them to look good. That's true. So, so you, you can have that attitude. I mean, I think, I think to an extent it's bullshit. We've seen, you know, bipartisan legislation in some respects make it through opposing houses before, in, you know, many times in history. Uh, not as much as I'd like, but it's happened. Um, but I think you can't go with that attitude. You can't say... Well, it doesn't matter what I do. They're not going to take it up. They're not going to pass it. So I'm just going to make this like targeted bill that, you know, that I know they're not going to pass because this is what I want anyway. Well, like now it again, you know, we talk, we've talked before about like a death spiral and stuff. Now you're giving into that. Right. You're giving into that and you're saying, well, I'm not going to give you anything that you would pass to begin with, you yeah. know? And so now what's he going to do with it? Well, then he's going to double down. And then where are we at? You know? Yeah. 
And, and we move on. We're talking about uh, uh, here. Here we are straight into Trump Russia territory, which is another. This is like suicide for the bill, if you ask me. Yeah. Um, they're going to make digital companies like Facebook and Google set up public databases that catalog political ad purchase requests of five hundred dollars or more to and create new measures to block ad buys by by foreign nationals. And, you know, again, this is like it makes sense, I guess. But how big of a problem is that really? Like the reports that came out about Russian interference in the election, which absolutely did happen. Yeah. Um, they were they were uh, messaging divisive rhetoric. They were uh, messaging to African-Americans about uh, straight up not voting, you yeah. know, and saying boycott the vote. Um, well, and then the blacktivist page. The blacktivist yep, page. Yep. Exactly. Now, the amount of messaging that happened on ads was a very small portion of the overall messaging. And I understand you want to stop that. Mm -hmm. um, but I feel like this is just another gut shot at the Republican Party. It's like, you know, yeah. here we are. We're stacking on more and more stuff. Well, if you want legislation to pass, it's got to at least look bipartisan. Well, you know, the other thing, I this one in particular, I don't consider so much. Yeah, like I, I get what you're saying. Like it is obviously a Trump-Russia thing. Right. Yeah. Like that, that's no question. But actually, I think this is so that they can come to us and be like, we're trying to do something about Facebook. Dude, there's 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 a lot more that we need to look at and talk about. And I'm not saying necessarily legislate, but like our issues with Facebook are, are a little bit bigger than five hundred dollar ad buys. You know what I mean? So, like, if you're going to turn around and come back to me and be like, yep, Congress is addressing the social media concern. And then, you know, to your point about how much of an impact did things have going back to the 2016 election, I read that uh, if we're talking about fake news, all right, 10% of, of conservatives consume 65% of fake news. You know what I'm saying? So, so basically, there's a 10% swath of conservatives who are like, if you look at it, if you look at their other habits, they're probably ardent conservatives who ended up consuming and clicking on about 65% of the links. Now okay. that's to say nothing of the, the, you know, scrolling past it in your feed and seeing sure. the headline that's whack, you know, obviously that had a bigger reach, but yeah, I think as we have more studies come out and, and stuff like that, we understand the, that there was a, there was an impact. It did have reach, but we don't understand if it really hit its target. yet. Mm. So, so to fire this off inside this bill and it's just like some kind of slapdash, half-ass, you know, provision that you're going to put in this bill. It does make you start questioning the motive. You well, know that's I mean? that's kind of how I feel about this whole thing. Is it? It feels like a hodgepodge of unconnected ideas that that mirror. I mean, granted, it, they all mirror the talking points from the Democrats for the last two years since Trump was being elected. So I think with their base that plays really well. Mm -hmm. They go. Hey, look, guys, we're fighting for all these things that we've been talking about, and and the Republicans are just going to shut us down, and you know, evil, evil Republicans, tell your friends to vote Democrat, and that's the problem with this bill to me is mm -hmm. it's like it's like suicide. It's almost like they don't want it to pass. Um, yeah. You could take any number of these ideas and put them into smaller bills and ask them to pass, yeah. and it's not gonna it's not gonna have all this offensive stuff. Well, they actually, I mean, they are. That's the thing is like they were. They were smaller bills, like the, for instance, the disclosure uh, uh, stuff about like 501Cs, that is called the Disclose Act, and it was an act unto itself, and it's been swallowed up into this bill. I hate and, that. And, you know, I... and there's others and stuff, and, and so what it does is we don't get to look at the merits of the Disclose Act. 
Right. Now we've got to look at the merits of HR one. And I understand, you know, efficiency and all that stuff, but on some things I wouldn't have done it. For instance, for instance, going down into the ethics section of this bill, um, they have two provisions in there that house members would be banned from serving on corporate boards, which by the way, I mean, in a way is, is, is another targeted shot at the representative in New York who just got caught with the, uh, you know, the fraud charges and all Mm -hmm. that stuff. But at the same time, hey, man, I'm all for it. Yeah, House members shouldn't be yeah, serving, should on not be serving, serving on a corporate you know? <laughs> board, period. Um, and also banning the use of taxpayer money to settle discrimination or sexual harassment claims. And, which and, and that's another great idea yeah, to me. Yeah. Um, so, so like right now, the public pays out on sexual harassment claims against yeah, Congress. Right. That's absurd to me. Right. Like there's no, no planet, no country well, actually, in the world where that makes sense. To be clear, they had, they, they put a freeze on it. It, it. What happened was last year we found out that there was a fund that representatives were able to draw from, uh, that they were supposed to reimburse, but then come to find out there was quite a few of them that were just like, yeah, I'll, I'll pay you back. And then left Congress <laughs> never did. Right. So they put a freeze on it. Well, this bill would be like, no, you can't do that at all. Stop. What are you, what are you, what are you thinking? But we can't talk about those provisions like, you know, in a package that's related to provisions like that and stuff like that on its own. We got to talk about voting rights. We got to talk about 501Cs. Well, and, you know. and again, this is another jab at the Republican Party coming off of Me Too, coming off of Kavanaugh. Um, these are things that Republicans largely disagree, you know, whether they're right to or not, they largely disagree with the narrative of the Me Too movement. So to throw a, a sexual harassment claim well, bill in into HR one with with you know changes to voting and and yeah. and changes to 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 ad buying and gerrymandering it just doesn't fit yeah in, and in, you're in asking fairness I want to make a point really quick just just to be clear I feel like this is a direct response to the scandal I was talking about which did include both Democratic and Republican lawmakers okay so uh, yeah there have yeah. been so, some some Demo- so I get, I get what you're saying Democrats. like with the higher context and stuff and definitely within the bill but just on this specific provision, I'm pretty sure there were it was it was it was a bipartisan scandal. So <laughs> you know, so I, I just wanted to be clear on that point. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, HR one would also uh, put a ban on contributions and expenditures by foreign nationals to domestic corporations, LLCs, and partnerships that are foreign owned. And now my eyes have completely glazed over. <laughs> Um, I mean, honestly, here's some text from that section of the bill. Uh, In general, Section 319B of the Federal Election Campaign Act of 1971, that's 52 U.S.C. 30121B, is amended, A, by striking or at the end of paragraph 1, B, by striking the period at the end of paragraph 2 and inserting uh, semicolon or colon, and C, by adding at the end of the following new paragraph, Three, except as provided under subsection C, any corporation, limited liability corporation or partnership, which is not a foreign national described in paragraph one and goes on and on. I have no idea what you just said. Right. And and this is when I'm when I'm reading bills, this is the type of stuff that that makes it not only difficult for me as a constituent to understand what's going on. Now I've got to look up all these sections. Mm-hmm. I got to figure out how they work together. And it's complicated. Making laws, writing laws is complicated. Yeah. But you think any congressman is like intimately familiar with yeah. all these subsections and how they work and play together? No. Lobbyists yeah. are and and maybe a, a small segment, uh, you know, the 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 whips maybe are right. are familiar with this language. 
to me, this is like the ultimate in non-transparent government. And yeah. I don't like it. I, I, I absolutely hate it. Um, yeah. I think when we're writing legislation, it needs to be clearly understandable. We need to understand how these things play together. Uh, if you're amending sections and subsections, just rewrite the section. Yeah, just- no, I'll tell you what, it's somebody who, who ends up reading a lot of, you know, bills and stuff for this, this show. HR one is particularly terribly written. Like, yeah. like, like just reading through it. Like normally, you know, I can, I can look at that type of stuff that you were just saying and I'm like, Oh, okay. They're talking about this. And, and I know that you don't want to click over and stuff, but if we allow, like you said, the laws are hard to put together, there's gotta be some of that. I can click over and I can see that. And I can see, but you're talking about add a, add a semicolon. Yeah. Like now I gotta, I gotta add punctuation to this section. Like dude, just rewrite the section. That's you know? how I that's bring how I the feel. section over and, and just redo it. And, you know? and the funny thing is like, I, there's so many parts of this bill that, that I would like to see passed. Mm-hmm. Um, but the overall flaw in it is to me is that it's a mishmash of unconnected things. And, and a lot of it are jabs and punches and stabs. Uh, and I don't think that's how politics works. That's like, it, it's almost like they don't want this bill to pass is how I feel. Yeah. Um, like they want to use it and hold it up as like, Hey guys, see, we're trying, but the other side is just shutting us down. It's like, well, you knew they'd shut you down. Yeah. Uh, And they are shutting them down. (laughs) Uh, Actually, just this week, uh, after it passed, uh, they asked Mitch McConnell if he was going to bring it for a vote in the Senate, and he said no. Uh, and you know, they were like, why? And he was like, because I decide what we vote on. What a yeah. jerk, dude. What a jerk. Um, Mitch, he, Mitch needs to go. Yeah, Mitch no. needs to go. No, he does. But like we said, uh, you know, Mitch McConnell and the, and the Republicans are no, you know, huge fans of this bill. Mitch actually back during the shutdown, uh, because they, you know, the Democrats introduced this like day one of Congress. Um, and back during the shutdown, Mitch actually pinned an op-ed against this bill. And, uh, you know, he, he, he goes into it and lays out a, a series of critiques to explain the Republican opposition to it. Uh, in fact, the, the title of the op-ed, he refers to the bill as the Democratic Political Protection Act. And, it, and it's hard not to see it that way. I mean, <laughs> uh, you know. When, you, One of when the, you look at all the jabs and stabs. Absolutely. One of the first things he goes after, you know, we mentioned that it would change the makeup of the FEC. And he points out that the FEC has had a six-member panel since Watergate. And he says, if you're going to change it to uh, a five-member panel and make it, you know, a three-to-two vote, it's going to become a partisan tool with which to club the other side. And And here's the thing. While we said earlier that you can't really get much done with a six-person panel, I think he's also completely right. I think what ends up happening with the FEC commission is, you know, I don't think there will be a ton of instances where we will catch them clubbing the other side through the FEC, but I think it's something that they're both going to bitch about from from now until eternity. Sure, and they're both going to try to stack those panels. Eric Holder came out talking about stacking the Supreme Court this week. So so that's what we're going to see here. We're going to see an arms race. Well, okay, let's make the FEC panel uh, seven members. Now let's make it nine. Now let's make it 11. Oh, my God. And and they're constantly going to argue about it. And and campaign finance violations are now going to have the taint of a partisan commission on it. You know what I mean? So like, so I get it. I don't know what you do because I think a six person panel is ineffective in the world we live in. Uh, I think if, if they were independent people who weren't like partisan appointees, 
a six member panel might be able to work just fine. I mean, you'd have some disagreements. Maybe you do something like you do with the, the, the vice president in the, uh, uh, in the Senate where you have somebody who's independent that just steps in and breaks ties. If there's right. been five votes and you can't break a tie or something, but they want to go with the three to two route. And this is something that we're, again, they're going to bitch about this for years. Yeah. Uh, Mitch goes on to, uh, uh, critique the super PAC, uh, you know, initiatives, of course. And it's interesting the way he frames it. He, he basically says, um, you're going to expose for one, you're going to change the makeup of the FEC into a partisan commission. Right. And then you're going to drag those people out into the sunlight. Like you said, uh-huh. take the masks off to in, in basically in order to allow the now partisan FEC commission to attack people who have voiced a viewpoint different from theirs. Mm. Like that's, that's basically what he's trying to say is like, this is the government coming for free speech. You know what I mean? Uh, oh, it's bullshit. It doesn't <laughs> hold up. No, it absolutely doesn't hold up. But that's Cocaine Mitch's argument. There you go. Uh, he moves on to argue against making Election Day a holiday. Because I can't. No, this is this is ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. He says this is the Democrats' plan to, quote, unquote, restore democracy. Extra taxpayer-funded vacation for bureaucrats to hover around while Americans cast their ballots. Dude, <laughs> yeah. what a what an asshat. Get out of here, Mitch, bureaucrat. You're the bureaucrat. <laughs> <laughs> what you hovering around sitting on your hands, snorting blow off your dad's boat? You're fuck get out of here. <laughs> no, it's it's ridiculous. And Mitch is ridiculous, but he also in the op-ed, uh, you know, like we said, he heavily criticizes the multiple pages in the bill that are devoted to, you know, the voting rights reform, the gerrymandering, the voter roll purges, all, all those things that we just said look targeted. Of course, Mitch is like, this is targeted. And what they want to do, he's able to sell to, uh, you know, the Republican base. He's able to say, this bill is nothing more than the Democrats trying to entrench themselves in power right. by coming straight at us. Right, you know by coming I mean? straight at our throats. And, and, he, and he's right about that. And the funny thing is that I picked all those things out as, as criticisms before I before I knew about Mitch's op-ed, yeah, you know those yeah. are those are things that seem really obvious to me, and you right. think it would seem obvious to the Democrats as well, which is what bugs me about this legislation. It's like no one was no one was thinking about those things. Like, did you want this bill to pass? Yeah. And I think the answer is no. Yeah. I don't think they want to. They don't want the masks off of their super PAC donors. Right. You know, they don't want to. They don't want gerrymandering tamped because they're going to use it as soon as it's advantageous. To, to get their votes. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I just, I don't think, I think this was all about virtue signaling. I think it was all about telling uh, the, the Democratic base, like, hey, look, we're trying and look at how hard they're stonewalling us mm-hmm. um, and just playing into this partisan divide narrative, um, which is a shame because a lot of these things should pass. Yeah. And they should be presented in a nonpartisan way um, where, where people feel like on the other side, they can step across the aisle and support them. And yeah. and as we move into talking about Warren's bill, none of those criticisms apply. Well, that's that's what's you know what's interesting. You were saying that you don't think the Democrats want to have their super PAC donors unmasked and all that stuff. Um, you know, like I said, John Sarbanes uh, is is one of the co-sponsors of the bill. And looking back at Sarbanes, Oxley, and stuff, I I completely believe that John Sarbanes has good intentions. Mm-hmm. Like I, I don't doubt that man's intentions, right? But the point is, it's not even it's not even to be so cynical as to say, um, you know, you can't try to pass 
you know, good measures if you know the Republicans aren't going to adopt them, so you have to just toss them out the window or anything like that. But it's to say you've got to put yourself in an unassailable position. Right. you got to put yourself in a position where Mitch can't come out and say it's the Democratic Political Protection Act. You know what I mean? you got to make it hard at least. Exactly. And this bill does not make it hard at all. There is a bill that makes it very hard and I think comes from an unassailable position. And it is languishing and dying in committee. Why? In the Senate. And probably isn't going to go anywhere ever. But we're going to talk about it because I think it might be the most spot on piece of legislation that I've, that anybody has brought in my life. Yeah. And, and, I'm reading and, through, and, reading through yeah. the summary of Elizabeth Warren's anti corruption and public integrity act was like, uh, it was like a revelation to me. The, the further I get through the summary, I'm just going like, Oh, that's nice. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's real. Oh, Oh, well. And by the, by the middle of it, like I'm excited. Yeah. I'm like hopping up and down in my seat. I'm like, is this, is this really what it is? Not, like, to, mention, <laughs> not to mention, you just said reading through the summary because there's a summary written in plain English that checks out and corresponds to the bill that you were able to read like that. <laughs> right. You weren't sitting there trying to figure out where your and or semicolons had to go in title five. That's right. Know? And funnily enough, you know, I'm talking to you on the phone and, and you're saying like, well, I better, I better fact check this summary here. Yeah. And, and you go back to, to check the bill mm-hmm. with the summary. And what do you know? It checks out. It checks out. It, it matches out. up. <laughs> I pulled I pulled so many random samples because I was like, you know, I just want to make sure, you know, because when I, I felt the same way when I read the summary and I was like, before I get excited about this, I don't want to find out that, you know, down She's there, in, down there in Title Three is a provision that, you know, all husky kids have to go work in a slave labor camp somewhere. So <laughs> we're you know, opening the gulags up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I went through it, and and I got to tell y'all, it checks out. Let's let's jump into it. So last year she unveiled this back in August, and it has pretty much kind of sat there ever since. But I there is sort of a movement to try to to bring it back up to the forefront. In fact, um, Pramila, I'm gonna go with Jeropal, who is a representative out of Washington State. Uh, she actually introduced Warren's bill in the House while they were talking about HR one and there is like this movement to get Warren's bill going and, you know, hopefully it can get some traction. I'm almost afraid that now that HR one's passed, they're going to be like, well, there's, there's a perfectly good anti-corruption bill. We don't need to look at this, but, uh, this bill calls for the implementation first and foremost of the U S office of public integrity to oversee the three branches of our government and implement and enforce all the provisions that are within this bill. So one of the first things is it, it kind of consolidates all those, uh, like the, the U S office of ethics. Uh, one of the really brilliant things I think it does is it puts every inspector general from the various executive branch agencies under the purview of this U S office, office of public of integrity. integrity. Right. So now the inspector general for the FBI has to report to this OPI. I know we're getting into that alphabet soup and all that good stuff, but I think it's a good idea. When you think about the inspector general for the USDA reporting solely to the USDA, there's, there's <laughs> right. a problem there. You know right. what I mean? Well, I, and I, I want to backtrack because I did say that, that I don't think this bill has any obvious, uh, you know, partisan pushback angles. And, and this is one that I think is, is an angle 
I think when you're selling to Republicans expansion of government, you're going to have a hard time every time. So yeah. you're opening a new three-letter agency. Um, it's going to be difficult to, to convince people to get on board. On the other hand, we're talking about draining the swamp. This is something that, uh, that people on both sides of the aisle overwhelmingly want to see happen. Uh, a Rasmussen Reports national telephone and online survey found that 71% of likely U.S. voters agree with Trump's repeated campaign statement that it's time to drain the swamp in Washington, D.C. Only 15% of respondents disagreed. Who are those people? <laughs> I know. Who the hell are those people, man? Exactly. They're, they're, uh, they're, they're lobbyists. They're swamp creatures. Yeah, so apparently those... 15% of America is lobbyists. That's <laughs> yeah. what we found out. Uh, and 15% or 14%, I'm sorry, were undecided. Uh, another poll says three in 10 voters, that's 33% of independents, 32% of Democrats, 25% of Republicans say that corruption in Washington is the most important topic for 2018, uh, for, for, I'm sorry, for 2018 candidates to discuss. Right. So overwhelmingly, bipartisanly, we all agree we need to drain the swamp. Corruption's yeah. got to stop. Money in politics has got to stop. And I don't see how you can do that without establishing some form of oversight, you know, some sort yeah. of agency. We could we could hand it to the FBI, I guess. Uh, but they're already, you know, they're already embroiled. Their hands are full. We don't right. want to give them more tasks and no. The, them. the FBI has no business getting into that. But but I'll, I'll tell you straight up, I am a I am a small government guy, right? Like I'm one of those people who doesn't want to just expand the government and and add agencies and departments for every little thing. I am I am 100% on board with this. See, this is, you know, there's there's been a couple times on the show where I said I would like to see us cut military spending and then see what we could do with that money. Uh-huh. I I'm okay with spending if it's something that 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 really matters. You know what I'm saying? I'm not okay with, you know, studying quails on cocaine as we've <laughs> referenced on the show before, but I am completely okay with something that addresses what is absolutely the largest problem in our country it is the problem that sits above everything else because that's right you can't have conversations about any of these other issues without this dark corrupting force getting its fingers into the pie well this bill comes out and and puts an end to that like right off the bat so we're going to set we're going to set up this office of public integrity and furthermore we're going to make sure that the director of the Office of Public Integrity maintains their independence. How does the bill claim to do that? Well, it sets out a series of qualifications for who the president can appoint to fill this post that I think do it quite nicely. For one, they have to have never been a lobbyist. Ever. Ever. Uh, they have to have a background in ethics, whether they they were an ethics lawyer, whether they worked in ethics, you know, teaching ethics, whatever. Sure. They have to have that background. Um, they have not been involved in politics in any fashion for at least four years. And that I, I, that includes fundraising. Right. Uh, that includes being an employee of a campaign. Like, yeah. That list is pretty expensive. Any form yeah. of fashion. Yeah. Uh, they can't have been a fiduciary or personal attorney for any, uh, for any officer or employee of the federal government for the past four years. Uh, they've never been registered under the Foreign Agents Act. Um, and then, you know, it sets up provisions to make sure that the director can can function and do their job uh, and, and go against power and still be able to function. The president cannot remove uh, the director without submitting to Congress 30 days ahead of time 
an explanation for why he wants to remove them. So it sets out in the bill, the president can only remove the director for inefficiency, neglect of duty, or malfeasance. Well, he's actually got to send a letter to Congress and say, okay, this right here specifically is how this director has violated or how he's been malfeasant, right. and this is why I'm removing him. And that's 30 days ahead of time. Yeah, this this all sounds pretty solid. My, my gut tells me like four years is a little low for the stipulation on, on government work. Uh, ideally, I'd want the person at the top of the ethics agency to have never been involved in, mm, in government yeah. work, but eh, it's probably just a pipe dream. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, but all in all, it does sound like the president couldn't just appoint a shill. Uh, the 30, 30 day notification for removal means that say a president, uh, that the people elected was, I don't know, embroiled in some sort of ethics scandal. And he decided to what, uh, remove or fire the director of the Office of Public Integrity. That's not yeah. too far outside of yeah. the realm of reality, yeah. who right? Who could we possibly <laughs> imagine doing that? Well, at least Congress would have this window to prepare for a fight. Well, and it's okay. So, and the other the other component of that is the president will have the authority to do that to remove that person, but to appoint a new person, it's invite it's advice and consent of the Senate, just like Supreme Court judges. Right. So now. The, the opposition party, you would imagine, has time to marshal their forces in the Senate and shut down whoever the next appointment is and just be like, hey, man, we're going to shut you down until you pick somebody that we want because you just you know screwed up and did this. Right, right. right. It makes a lot of sense. It sounds great. Uh, I'm not going to ask what uh, setting up an entirely new branch of you know government agency costs because honestly, I don't care in this case. What I do yeah. care about is exactly what rules the OPI is going to enforce. Ah, well, let's get into those because they are delicious. All right. One of the first rules inside the, the Anti-Corruption Act is they ban the individual stock ownership by every senior government official. I love this. And we're talking, we're looking at HR one's provision, mm -hmm. um, that, that bans sitting on boards. Yeah, no, this is, this is wonderful. It's a no brainer. Uh, if this whole bill dies quietly in the middle of the night, which it probably will knowing America, yeah. um, this, this ban on individual stock ownership should be demanded by every voter in America. I don't care. Um, and, and in fact, in this this bill creates a conflict free independent investment account for affected employees, yeah. so you can still gain benefits from economic growth. Um, you get this you get this investment account. It's like a mutual fund, um, but it makes it that much harder to be just flat out blatantly corrupt. I'm sure people will still uh, get their brother to buy stock for them <laughs> yeah. and and make decisions. But but think about it, man. You don't even have to be like consciously corrupt. For stock ownership to affect you. You got $2 million in Netflix stock and a vote comes up that, that will hamper Netflix. Oh yeah. Your, your subconscious bias is going to affect that vote. You got $2 million on the line. Yeah. I don't care. Get it out of there. Get in the stock market in some, in some index funds, you know, in this, in this separate, this separate fund, you can gain the benefit of economic growth. You can invest, but you can't have personal ties to specific companies. It's it's just opening the door for corruption. This yep. ends it. No, and, it, and yeah, and it removes that whole layer that we have to worry about with all of our elected officials. Another thing that we never have to worry about again with this bill is there is a lifetime ban on lobbying by presidents, vice presidents, cabinet members, judges, and members of Congress. Woo! Furthermore, there's multi-year bans on all other, all other employees from lobbying their agency, house, or department for two years after they leave the government. 
six years for corporate lobbying. And here's something interesting that this bill does that hadn't really been done before. It draws a distinction between lobbyists for nonprofits and lobbyists for corporate for corporations. And that if you if you guys can think back to, you know, our discussions before on lobbying, that was one of my sticking points. I was like, well, anything that you're going to do here, you know, to try to go after these corporate lobbyists, you're going to end up penalizing people who are who are legitimately trying to get good things done. Mothers Against Drunk Driving, right. you know, I, these other organizations. I think it's really easy in our fervor to 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 level our hate at lobbyists across the board, but the truth is a lot of lobbyists are legitimately trying to educate uh representatives about issues. Right. Um and and I don't think we need to stop all that behavior. No. Um so setting setting a, a corporate lobby and a you know and a nonprofit or a citizen lobby aside and applying different rules, I, I'm okay with that. I think yeah. it makes a lot a lot of sense. Yeah. And specifically here, you know, we've talked about the revolving door and this bill does a lot of things to stop the revolving door. And this is probably the first shot across the bow. If you are, you know, these members of government, that's it. You cannot take that job with the sweet lobbying firm after you leave office. And and then down here, even if you're another employee, even if you're the guy who works at the Bureau of Indian Affairs, you know what I mean? You're not going to leave for at least two years and take a job with the lobbying firm that is lobbying the Bureau, Bureau of Indian Affairs. Right. No, that's, that's great. And it's funny because my first reaction was like, uh, two years, uh, four years, maybe that's long enough. Uh, maybe that's not long enough, but, but the truth is, man, after four years, you're not hooked in your, right. your power is gone. Um, you don't have the influence anymore. The CEOs of these companies have probably changed by then. Yeah. So sweetheart deals just kind of fall apart. You can't, you can't say, oh yeah, here, four years later, uh, hire me on. Dude, that CEO might not even be there. Right, you know, right. and 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 if you do maintain that kind of deal, there's going to be a paper trail somewhere. There's going to be emails. There's you know, in in order to pass that decision on to the next incoming, uh, you know, person in power, like it's it's possible, I guess. Yeah. But this makes it, it really puts, it puts a cramp on it really hard. Yeah, no, absolutely. Now there is a section, you know, we just we just went at HR one for you know having these targeted provisions. There is what I would like to call the Trump section of the Anti Corruption Act. And basically it's, it's a series of rules about presidents and vice presidents having conflicts of interest. Um, it's, uh, about the ethics involved during the presidential transition period. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, Mike Flynn, wink, wink, you know what I mean? So they are very targeted rules at things that happen in real life, but they're also, you know, no brainers saying that the president has to divest himself while he's in office saying right. put his businesses into a blind trust. You can't have uh, uh who was, I can't remember. So I'll, we'll just say the entire foreign embassy of uh, whatever Stan staying at your hotel <laughs> while they're in town for the peace summit. Like you can't do that. Right. You know what I mean? So I, I think that well, I think those are things Republicans would criticize Trump for too, honestly. Yeah. And no, that's what I'm saying. It goes back to that, that, that Rasmussen number what was it 71% or whatever. Yeah, no, I you look at each and every single one of those and and people to me would be like, "Oh, yeah, no, no, let's not let them do that." <laughs> yeah. Um the the next thing that it does, it prohibits the world's largest companies and banks from hiring or paying any senior government official for 4 years after they leave office. So, 
Exiting officials will have to disclose their financial records for four years after they leave office. And that's to, to make sure that they're not that they haven't taking taken jobs a job. with, with some big corporation. Yeah, and it actually it gives the definition if you're wondering, like, okay, so what constitutes a large company or a large bank? Well, it gives a definition. Any for-profit company or financial institution with greater than an average of 150, what is that, billion? Billion, that's in, billion. Yeah, in market capitalization or revenue for the previous three-year period, or any federal contractor that received greater than $5 billion in annual revenue from the federal government during the previous three-year period, or any for-profit company or financial institution that exerts a monopolistic control over a significant share of the market in its particular industry. And that is defined by the director of the OPI, the Office of Public Integrity, in consultation with the Attorney General. So to put that in perspective, Apple has recently reached a trillion dollar market cap. Then you've got like Johnson & Johnson, another huge company. Uh, they're at about a $350 billion market cap. So anyone half the size of Johnson & Johnson uh, or above half the size of Johnson & Johnson cannot hire senior government officials for four years. Now, yeah. you know, so what? We just wait four years and then... You know, no, and but, then collect. <laughs> well, no, I think I do, again. You know, it's like you said just a moment ago. I don't think that four years is the blink of an eye that it first sounds like. I think you know when you hear that, I, I felt the same way. You hear the four years, and you're like, ah, it's four years. But then think about that. I mean, think about the pace of industry. Think about what it means in some of these fields, and say, so, you know, in 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 government, uh, uh, or I'm sorry, in defense contractors. Think about what it means to be out of the loop for four years, right? You know what I mean? Because you're releasing your financials, so you can't have any kind. You can't take a consultation fee, right? You can't take a gift. You know what I mean? Like they they pour through your financial records to see if you basically had any contact with that company. Fair enough. So if you're out for four years, man, like you, you the game's you've, passed yeah, you you've, by. You've lost your influence yeah. for the most part. The other part of this that kind of kind of rubs me the wrong way. Um, I don't like the idea that the OPI gets to define monopolistic control. Right. Um, I feel like if they're going to enforce a rule based on a definition that they shouldn't be making that definition themselves. Like I, I feel like that's what's co what Congress is for. Let's go ahead and, and, and assign the definition in this bill. Like, yeah. why is that not happening? No, I get what, I get what you're saying. And normally that would bug me, but here's what I do. Like, I do like the line about it being in consultation with the attorney general. And I know that, you know, at first glance, you think, oh, well, you know, what's that mean? That's like, that's a, you know, you just have to go and have a sit down with the attorney general and then do whatever you like. Right. right. Consultation's pretty loose. Like, it, so we had to send him a memo. He didn't like the memo, but we really don't care. We, we consulted with him. Right. Right. But it creates all these interesting situations, right. By doing it this way. For one, Congress is never going to come out and say that a company is a monopoly. You're not going to get Congress to stand as one. And say Amazon is a monopoly. Especially not if they hold Amazon <laughs> stock. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you also got to project into the future of this bill and what it does for lobbying and everything, which we'll get into some of those provisions here shortly. But even in a world without lobbyists, you start getting, you know, Republicans or, or Democrats to target a specific company and stuff. And you do start echoing like, you know, the government is coming down and, and all that stuff. The attorney general needs to be the person that kind of handles that, right? He's our lawyer. Right. And the president appoints him and everything. So, so the OPI director has to go and consult with the attorney general. Well, what happens 
Okay, if if the attorney general doesn't sign off. Now you've got the director of the OPI saying this business is a monopoly and the attorney general saying, oh, no, I, I, I don't think it's a monopoly. And now you've got those those loggerheads right between the OPI and the president. Don't forget that the director of the OPI is a presidential appointee. Right. Let's also inverse it. What happens if the the attorney general does say that it's a monopoly? But then the government doesn't prosecute the company to try to break it up under antitrust laws. Mm. You can't say it's a monopoly in one instance and then turn around and say it's you're going to have so many lawsuits filed by these other little companies that want to see a breakup and stuff. So it does like it drags this shit out into the forefront. And that decision, that monopolistic, you know, this company has a monopolistic control is going to have to happen right across the newspapers in front of our eyes. Okay, you know, these these four components, basically, you've got the president. You've got the director of the OPI, and then you've got the attorney general. They're all going to have to either get on the same page or explain to us in detail why they're not. So you know we can I mean? so we can make a decision. I like yeah, that. That's yeah. that's that's good. Trans- it, it's a bit of a it's a it's a bit like creating creating conflict. But maybe that's where you know maybe we need conflict there. Yeah. No, I think <laughs> I think in some instances we do need conflict. Yeah. Um, another thing that I love that we do here is lobbyists are also banned from government jobs for two years, six years for corporate. It's, it's funny. Cause I swear, I swear. I remember reading half of these things on Trump's own campaign website before he got elected. Mm-hmm. Of course, all that stuff was wiped very soon after he got elected. So you can't go back and look at it, but yeah. it was full of, of regulations on lobbyists, yeah. um, and, and banning them from, from entering you know, corporate lobby after government and stuff. So this seems like Trump people's dream come true. Yeah, no, absolutely. It, uh, they finally, they also say that this will ban the hiring or appointment to government positions of top corporate officials whose companies have broken the law in the past six years. Right. So for instance, had Exxon have come run afoul of this law, or I think, um, I think there's a certain, uh, you know, threshold, but, you know, of certain other laws, then there would be no sexy Rexy as the secretary of state can't happen. Right. Right. So right now, how do you feel? Do you, do you, do you like this bill? Do you want to pass it? I, I love this bill. You're excited about this I'm, bill? I am in love with this bill. All right, cool. Let's pass. Oh, wait a minute. That's just title one. <laughs> Let's go to title two. Title two in the summary to this bill I swear to God is named ending lobbying as we know it. Okay. That's what they call it. I can get on board with this. So how are they going to do that? All right. By requiring all lobbyists to disclose any specific bills, policies, and government actions they attempt to influence, any meetings with public officials, and any documents that they provide to those officials. And and why shouldn't they? Yeah. This, this opens the door to transparency. If you're going to uh, influence government, everyone knows how you're doing it, and and the steps you took to get there. It would also ban American lobbyists from accepting money from foreign governments, foreign individuals, and foreign companies to influence United States public policy. It would also end lobbyist contingency fees that allow lobbyists to be paid for a guaranteed policy outcome. Okay. And it would end lobbyist gifts to the executive and legislative branch officials that they actually lobby. And this one here, this goes out to all of the listeners out there who are scratching their heads feverishly, wondering why these things are allowed 
in the first place. Contingency fees yep. that allow lobbyists to be paid for a guaranteed policy outcome? Yeah. Give me a break, but, man. But wait, there's more. <laughs> this bill also bans direct political donations from lobbyists to candidates or members of Congress. Lovely. And here's a little side gem that's in Title II that I'm a big fan of. We're going to step out of lobbying for just a second. But the OPI would now be the agency that oversees Freedom of Information Act requests. And this bill codifies that the U.S. government's default position on the Freedom of Information Act is disclosure. Is disclosure. It is now our default. You have to, the burden of proof is on you to keep that thing tied up. So, and I, and I love this, and this is why. Uh, there have been issues with departments being in charge of their own Freedom of Information Act requests. Researchers, journalists, citizens um, across you know swaths of people have encountered difficulties getting information that agencies didn't want them to have for whatever reasons. Uh, CBS reports people who asked for records under the FOIA received censored files or nothing in 78% of 823,222 requests. That's a record over the past decade. The federal government also spent $40.6 million in 2017 on lawsuits from bungled Freedom of Information Act requests. So this is this is costing us money. And, and we started the Freedom of Information Act to, to increase government transparency. We yeah. want to know what's going on. So when when a citizen asks the FBI for information and it might damage the FBI, they mm -hmm. go into damage control mode and they go, oh, well, we can't send them that. Oh, shit, we can't send them that. And and there's no one to stop them. It's the FBI that gets to decide whether they feel, fulfill that request. Yeah. So moving this portion uh, over to an independent bureau that is that is staffed with folks with a background in ethics that is tasked with being ethical is a brilliant idea. Yeah. It is it's it's a no-brainer to me. And of course, we still have steps in place to make sure that uh national security exceptions are in place. Right. So I'm sure they're going to have to uh, they're going to have to pass this on and say, "Hey, is this okay?" They're going to be brought up to speed, but now the cool thing is, is that the CIA's got to go to them who 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 have been set up and code like I said, codified in the bill to be on our side and be like this is why we don't want to release this. And yeah. and and the OPI director gets to decide. The only thing, a little tweak that I would like to add to this bill to make that loop perfect is let's go ahead and take the FOIA request for the OPI and just, you know, toss it. Hell, you can give it to the USDA. I don't even give a damn <laughs> who's going to do it. Yeah, give it to the attorney general. Yeah, we'll <laughs> give it to him, the attorney general, and there you go, done. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, just great. that little tweak. Now, let me ask you a question. Speaking of releasing documents. Over there in HR1, did you like that part about the president and the vice president having to release their tax returns? I mean, presidents typically do that, right? forcing them to do that uh, in light of Trump. So that was a good move by HR1, right? Yeah, okay. although in context of the whole bill, yeah. where there's lots of digs at the Republican Party, yeah. uh, you know, it starts to, it, it just starts to pile on and make right. it look like what Mitch was calling it. Well, how do you make it not look like what Mitch was calling it? And I'll tell you how it's in this bill. You empower and require the IRS to release the tax returns of every senior political official every year they're in office. Every single it. one. We're not just talking about the president. We're not just talking about the vice president. We're talking about the whip we're talking about. And, and actually, if, like I said, if you go through and you read this, what she did was she tied it to Title V. Title V of U.S. Code handles how we pay people, right? So what she did was she said, okay, if we go to subsection two of Title V, everybody who gets scheduled in there, 
you are subject to this bill. Right. That right there is almost everybody who matters in the executive That's branch. Right. It's everyone sitting on boards and committees yep. and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And she threw in all, Congress and everybody to boot. All of the decision makers. Yep. And and I don't I don't see how you can I don't see how you can pass a bill like this without doing that, right? Because there has to be some way to find out where the money is is coming in. And if you're disclosing your tax returns, you know, there it is. Well, hey, where did you get this extra $850,000, buddy? You know, yeah. all of a sudden there's a there's an inroad for investigation. It just makes sense. No, absolutely. Uh, Title II moves on to establish the Office of the Public Advocate to help diminish some of the need for lobbyists. The OPA would help citizens participate in rulemaking and assist individuals in resolving disputes with agencies. So the the OP, the public advocate the you know that that's actually what they'd be called is the public advocate would be appointed by the president would report to the director of the office of public integrity and would not be a federal employee. Hmm. So for instance during the recent shutdown the public advocate would still be on the job because they are not considered a federal employee under US law. I know that's weird Obviously, their pay is going to come from the federal government and everything, <laughs> but there are all kinds of little interesting places where not being a federal employee actually makes this a little cleaner, makes it and, and helps them work for us just a little bit better. Now, here's another thing that I think is interesting: where the director of the OPI has to have a background in ethics, the the public advocate has to have a background in customer service. I love it. <laughs> yeah, I man. love it. So this is. This is and, and and I have to say it's another government agency. It seems it seems like a hard sell again to Republicans or small government. Here we have like a sub agency of this larger agency. But again, man, only good can come of it. This brings citizens into the government. He's got to have a they've got to have a, a customer service background so they're used to dealing with angry people. Yeah. And when you've got angry people, this this department helps resolve disputes and it helps connect people. Uh, you know, with with this mass government that that honestly we all want people to be more connected with, and, right. and one of the failings of democracy is that it's gotten so large and so hard to understand that only a lobbyist who who spends their entire life learning how to deal with this stuff can navigate. Right. So it makes a lot of sense to 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 have someone there to kind of help average people and regular regular people navigate these waters. Right, right. And I, and I would also say again, you know, I'm I'm coming from the small government perspective and and again, this for one, I think it 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 does a lot of good and I'm okay with spending money on things that do good. For two, I just, I'm a quibble a little bit, but you said department. I want to be very clear. This isn't a separate department. This isn't a separate agency. This is an office within the OPI. Okay. Right? So it, you're right, though. One of the chief questions that's going to come up is going to be, how the heck do we pay for this bill? Well, it's actually right there in the bill, and that's the beauty of it. This bill provides for partial funding of the OPI and the OPA and actually some other agencies to help Congress wean itself off lobbying, like the Congressional Research Service and the CBO and the Government Accountability Office and all that stuff through not only the fines that it's going to levy for people who violate this law, but also through a new tax, which you know how I am about taxes, <laughs> but a tax on excessive lobbying, right? So if you lobby in excess of, or if you, I'm sorry, if you're if you lobbying spend expenditures. on lobbying uh, in excess of a half million dollars a year, there is going to be a tax. 
And, you know, I, I, I wrestled with that for a minute because, I you know, again, I was thinking about the little guys and I was like, you know, what about the nonprofits and everything? Um, but, at, you know, at the end of the day, when I started, I, I think it's OK. You know, when we when we go over here and we look at the tax schedule, this is how it works out. Uh, if you spend in excess of one hundred and twenty five thousand dollars per quarter, then that money, everything in excess of one hundred and twenty five thousand dollars is going to be taxed at thirty five percent. OK. And that runs all the way up to $250,000 per quarter. So you spend so, under half a million dollars and you're not subject to this tax. Yeah, exactly. And, I, and so I got to thinking to myself, like, who is spending in excess of a half million dollars? And even if we are talking about, you know, uh, you know let's, say, let's say Mothers Against Drunk Driving or Peter or somebody meets those demands. I don't want to see people get to a place where they have to necessarily pay to have their voice heard. You know what I mean? Absolutely not. But I think that, you know, we've all heard about how much money these foundations and stuff have been raking in. And it's a trade-off that I'm willing to make to get the people who are at the top of this tax bracket. Because here's, here's, here's where we go. Like, by the end of it... We get to if you are over a million and two hundred fifty thousand dollars per quarter, then you're getting taxed for the excess at seventy five percent. Right, In and, addition, it, and it's progressive. It's yeah, a pro- yeah. progressive tax yeah, schedule. Yeah. So you pay the thirty five percent on the first bracket, <clears throat> right, uh, right. and then you pay uh, the sixty percent on the next bracket, and then you come up here to one point two five million, and you're paying that seventy five percent. Yeah. So it really caps to me that sort of pro- progressive schedule caps this crazy excessive lobby from companies like say apple right. you know who are making ungodly amounts of money like yeah you can spend that money but man you are going to have to fork over some some cash to make sure we can keep this process transparent and working right, right. so we can keep corruption out like and here's the thing i'm completely fine i'm pretty sure that if we institute this law and mad goes belly up you know what i'm saying or, going to. or or mad is struggling or whoever is lobbying is struggling uh, we're going to hear about it. We're going to fix it. We're going to get them some relief. You know what I'm saying? Nobody is prepared to let, you know, uh, the, the shit United way or whoever, you know right. what I'm saying? Like go belly up. I don't think the United way lobbies, but you know, there you go. Um, and, and meanwhile, you're pulling these funds from these people who have been just recklessly throwing money into lobbying and stuff. Well, what are you going to do with them? Not only are you going to fund this office of, of public integrity, but like I said, we're also going to help Congress get away from lobbyists by sending that money to the congressional budget office and, and the office of technology assessment and these different various congressional research service. I love it because the idea behind lobbying is that, that our our representatives aren't experts in all of the fields that they're regulating. right? Right. So it does make sense that you want to have, uh, some sort of education going on. If we're passing big, complicated laws about uh, in areas we don't understand, then we're bound to run into problems. We've got a congressional research office. Let's fund it and let's get independent, you know, nonpartisan, non-tainted information into the hands of our representatives. And this yeah. is how we do it. Yeah, there's actually there's even a measure in this bill um, that we didn't put into the outline. So that's my bad. But uh, there was actually even a part that talked about uh, if you submit a study to Congress for them to base it off and they find out that that study is jank, you can be penalized. Good. That's under title two. Good. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, and, and, and that's another play, place where I think this bill knocks it out of the park is those penalties. Right? So if we had this bill, but it was, you know, it all equated to slaps on the wrist, it wouldn't really matter. Right? Because we're talking about big moneyed corporations 
that can absorb blows like that until the cows come home. Well, I'm going to let you folks decide for yourself. All right. We're going to open it up and say that any government official or employee or other search per, such person who fails to disclose relevant information or falsified information pursuant to this law is subject up to a $50,000 fine, a year in prison, or both. Any of those giant banks or giant companies, which were defined earlier, who violate these laws will be fined no less than 1% of the company's net profit for the previous year. 2% for a second violation and 5% for a third and beyond. So, so here we go. I did some back of the envelope math. Cause I'm like 1%. What does that actually, you know, work out to? Well, if we take it at the very top end, uh, Apple made 45.7 billion per year. That's based on 2016 net, net income figures. And keep in mind, that's before Apple far before Apple had a trillion dollar market cap. Uh, so this is a low estimate. One percent is five hundred million dollars for the first ding. That's for the first <laughs> infraction. Yeah, yeah. Pays for a lot of enforcement, right? A lot of officers. They might end up with enough to help Kentucky out with our, you know, government pensions. I don't, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. No, but but here's the thing: it doesn't just end at the money, and that's I think this is almost even more killer, man. In addition, the OPI director can place sanctions on the company, including not being able to employ former federal employees or officials for eight years. Yes. And now this is the one prohibiting them from doing any business with the federal government or participating in any federal programs for eight years. I love it. So there ain't going to be no contracts. There ain't going to be no handouts. There and, ain't going to be no subsidies. My concerns nothing. about the four years are out the window, right? Because if you break these rules, you are subject to to far stiffer far stiffer rules you know eight yeah. years a long time man and no government contracts no no government hires like get out of here i yeah. love it and, and who could complain about that exactly <laughs> it seems unassailable that's to a me. good question before before you get all excited oh i'm already excited baby okay i am me, bouncing up and down in my seat if y'all can't hear the <laughs> springs on this chair let me give you the final piece of that puzzle additionally the executive officer of said company or bank who knowingly or through gross negligence violates the law is subject to a fine of up to their total compensation for each year the offense occurred. Damn, <laughs> Elizabeth Warren, don't play, son. No, think about that. That's up to their total compensation. That includes yeah. health packages. That stock includes options. stock options parachutes, bonuses, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. What this is saying is if you violate the rules of ethics in America, you are going to forfeit what you made. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Every yeah. Everything that you thought you gained from, from gaming the system, boom, and taken. It's, and it's a, it's a steep penalty. Don't get me wrong. I mean, like, let's say that you find out that, you know, we'll, we'll use Apple, uh, we use Apple. God bless them. I'm not saying that Apple did or didn't do anything wrong. I'm not, you know, but, but fair enough. No, uh, let's that's say just the, that's just the top of the chain right yeah, now. Yeah. Let's, but let's, let's just use Apple. Let's say that the head of Apple and they find out that the company has been in violation for seven years, right? That CEO now owns CEO pay for the last seven years. CEO, I'm sorry, CEO compensation, compensation for the last seven years. And so when I first, I was like, damn, that is a, Man, that is, I mean, you know, that's your salary, right? But then I got to thinking about it. These rules aren't complicated. Right. These rules aren't written like that other bill is written. These rules are, are straightforward. You can't hire government officials for four years. If you did it, 
you violated the damn law. It's 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 easy. Uh, not as to that. mention that this this specific provision says gross negligence. Right. Right. You know, for willfully so they violating had to or gross ne- negligence, or, or just be grossly negligent. Right. And that's a pretty high burden. That's to prove. not something you stumble across. Right. You know what I'm saying? It's not something you accidentally do. Oops. Yeah. Um, this is this is steep fines for deliberately subverting the the ethical standards of the United States, yeah. which it's about time we had some ethical standards for business and government in the United States. No, absolutely. Uh, it goes on. Any violation of Title II uh, specifically is subject to a two hundred thousand dollar fine and up to five years in prison. And then here's where it gets really interesting when we start talking about the president. So the president gets to appoint the director of the OPI, as we've said. A violation of any of the conflict of interest rules, the Presidential Transition Ethics Guidelines, or the Ethics in Government Act of 1978 by the President or Vice President shall be construed by Congress as a high crime and misdemeanor under Article 2. And we know exactly what this is about because we've talked about high crimes and misdemeanors since Trump got in office. This is about impeachment, folks. This sets up ethics violations uh, for, for being grounds for impeachment. Right. And and I love it. I want our president to be ethical. Yeah, so, I do not want a scumbag in office. Well, you do you do worry about the, the if the director of the OPI is appointed by the president, what happens? You know, but the director of the OPI, if if he can bring a case that that the president has violated the ethics code, he has a pretty powerful swing back at the president. You know right. what I'm saying? Because now he's served him up to Congress. Right, and you, you don't. You don't worry about uh, about partisan tax from the OPI because, as you said, uh, the director is appointed by the president. So right. ideally, he's not going to be some political he's the tool. last person that should be he, serving up the president for impeachment. Exactly. Not 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 only does he have a background in ethics, yeah. uh, but he was appointed by the president. So right. uh, yeah. yeah, this is great, man. No, I, like I said, I, I think this thing is beautifully written and there's just, I mean, there's, there's more in this bill than, than we could possibly cover, you know, on the show. I mean, there's, there's cool rules about making petitions have more impact. There's like a rule. If the petition has a hundred thousand signatures, it like, it has to be heard. It sets out how it has to be heard. Right. Uh, there's some rules about like judicial activism, believe it or not, but like some of the, the judges slapping injunctions on things and ruling from the bench. Um, and, and there's just, please, you know, people go out and read this bill. I can't sing its praises enough. Yeah. You know? and, and honestly, I think people on both sides of the aisle, uh, should, should be supporting this bill. Uh, the sad part to me is that this, this type of bill is exactly what we lose, uh, when we're talking about this deepening divide, this partisan politics. And we talk about it on the show all the time. And we say, you know, this hurts us. This hurts us. Well, how does it hurt us? It hurts us like this, man. Um, Elizabeth Warren is putting forth a tremendously well thought out bill that does everything that Trump got elected to do. It fixes dark money in D.C. We're going to stop the revolving door. We're going to drain the swamp. It's what Republicans asked for. It's what the Democrats asked for. And and all the Republicans are going to be worrying about the Democratic commies trying to turn America into Venezuela, breadlines and, and gulags, and you're yeah. going to allow your reps to shit all over this bill because it has Warren's name on it. This is the time to compromise, man. This no. it is now. And Democrats, you guys have leverage right now. No, they do. Well, wait a minute. Leverage? Yeah, dude. I would trade the wall for this bill 
in a heartbeat. I would trade the wall $5.7 billion (laughs) for this bill. Yeah, no, I I mean, I got it. Like I said, man. I and think, I think the wall is a terrible idea. And, and the wall is a terrible idea. And I, I, yeah, shit, I would almost trade the wall for it myself. I mean, and I, how could he turn it down? That's it's, it's true. what he ran on. That's true. I, like I said, I think even if you're a small government person, even if you don't believe in the taxes, and I know there's a tax in here. Like I, I get it. You know what I mean? I, I shunned and I came at that thing from every angle that I could. But at the end of the day, look at what this does. Look at what this bill does, and it is languishing in the Senate. She introduced it last August, hasn't even got out of committee. Nobody's and, and no one's talk reporting about it. on it. And here's the thing. What I think needs to happen is she needs to find a co-sponsor on the other side of the aisle. Ben Sass. And that is the thing. She, she expressly Sass. said that she was going to reach out to Ben Sass, and Ben Sass actually had an anti-corruption bill of his own that died last year. Um, Gee, I wonder why but, anti-corruption bills are dying in the Senate. Yeah, no, that is interesting. But I think that, you know, she's getting ready to run for president, and I think it's going to get lost in the mix. And I think, or here's 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 what I think. In 2020, if the thing flips, and even if she's not president, we're going to get a part of this incorporated into HR1, and that's what's going to get passed. I don't really, want it. This is what we need. You cannot, Mitch has nothing he can say to this. Mitch can't write an op-ed about this. No. Mitch can't come out and say, oh, no, no, no. I mean, like, why would we ban people from lobbying for life? There's no uh, idealistic argument for that. Now, you know, he'll say, oh, it's going to expand government. He'll say, oh, it's, gonna, it's going to silence people from, you know, talking to their government and stuff. But I'm going to tell you right now, his opposition to HR1 is pretty thin. This would be paper thin. He's got nothing. Yeah, like, no, it doesn't silence anyone. It silences you if you're spending more than 500 million, half yeah, a million dollars. Yeah, half a million dollars and up. I mean, so I, I I cannot stress enough that that I would like to see at least all of our listeners go and take a look at at least the summary for this bill. I will have the link down in the show notes. And, and, and I think that this is one of those times where we don't just let this thing die quietly into the night. Like I, she put this bill out there and I'm going to tell you right now, I heard, uh, you know what day before we're doing this episode that now she wants to break up all the tech companies. I've got my problems with Elizabeth Warren, but it doesn't matter. No, it's, it's message bill. It's message over messenger. So much is so much more important than her or whatever else she's going to, I don't give a damn if she gets a win. It was almost like, it was like Cory Booker, old Spartacus with his weed bill. That was a good weed bill. This is an absolutely outstanding lobbying bill. Yeah, we, we talk about it all the time. It's message over messenger to me. I don't care who Elizabeth Warren is. If she puts forth good legislation, support the good legislation. And you know what? If your side is afraid of Elizabeth Warren uh, you know, gaining some purchase and some power here, and, and maybe she was usurps Trump in 2020, like, screw you. Yeah. Get out of here, man. Trump is for another four years. This lasts forever. Yeah. This is this is the most important piece of legislation that has passed through our, our Congress ever in my lifetime. What I'm saying is if Elizabeth Warren forgets about this bill, I'm not gonna forget about this bill. No kidding. I'm actually I you know, I think what we might what we might end up doing is putting something on the website. To, oh, to it's help. not even a might. Yeah, yeah. I am going to create a, a part of our website that allows you to look up your representatives or at least link to somewhere. We're going to give you a form letter to, to, to edit to your heart's content and send it to your representatives. Ask them Republican, Democrat, Green Party, Independent. I don't care who you are or who your representative is. 
Send it. Call them. Write them. Send them letters. Send them emails. Don't let this go. I don't care if you're a commie. I don't yeah. care who you are. Get in contact. And I promise you, we're also going to track it on the show. I mean, obviously, if we're talking about underwater drilling or something, you know, but every now and then we're going to check in with you and we're going to let you know where Warren's bill's at. And and I would say this, if, if, if you have a reason after reading Warren's bill that you have great concern, hit us up, hit us up anywhere, hit us up on Reddit, hit us up on Facebook. All the links are right there in the show notes and, and talk to me about it. And if you do a good enough job, maybe at some point in the future, we might even bring you on the show because I want to hear it. I want to hear what the opposition is to this bill. That's right. You know, I wonder, uh, speaking of opposition and uh, criticism, uh, it's about that time where uh, Beanzo, our fact checker extraordinaire, is going to come through and tear us to absolute shreds. Oh, good old Beansy buzzkill. Yep. Uh, Beans, what you got for us today? Well, let me start off by welcoming Daniel and Marquise. Uh, it's Dustin and Marty. To the esteemed society of Beanzo's buddies. Unlike previous patrons, I think you two have a firm grasp on what makes this show great. I really appreciate that you've had the opportunity to admire what I do here, and I promise to continue to be a source of inspiration to you. So, Devin, Manny? It's Dustin and Marty. You're the bee's knees in my book, buddies. But let's be serious for a minute. The Anti-Corruption Act is the single best piece of legislation aimed at fixing our broken system that I've seen in a long time. Anyone who doesn't support this legislation does not care about democracy or the future of this country. I think she should have called it the Drain the Swamp Bill because that's exactly what it does. It pains me to say that Sense and Theory stumbled across the right answer here, but what do they say about broken clocks and subpar podcast hosts? Please, go read the bill, which is in the show notes, and if you agree, then call your senators and urge them to back it. Post about it on social media, tell your friends and family, and if we build enough support and force these politicians to expose themselves by voting no, then we'll vote them out till we get a Congress that'll pass it. Fellas, back to you. Well, I, I, I don't, uh, I, did, did he just say that we got it right? I think so, man. I, I don't, I don't even, well, no. There were no corrections. Yeah, no, that's, that's the power of this bill. It, it even brought Beanzo over into the light. You I see what you I'm what, saying? Dude, I didn't know he was such an idealist. He's like, well, just vote him out if they oh, don't yeah, support Oh, yeah, I know. It. Well, he actually kind of got kind of harsh on it. He's like, if you don't support this bill, you don't love America. But, you that's know, kind of lame. No, yeah, screw it. But, I, no, I'll take it. I'll take it. No, that's what I'm saying about this bill. Like, if the American people get a chance to actually look and appreciate what this bill is about— then, you know, they're going to be all for it. And well, you the can, New York Times sure isn't writing articles about it, so that, that's right. it's on us. Well, I'll tell you what. You can absolutely go to senseandtheorypodcast.com, and we're going to have the, the page right there so that you can contact your congressman and everything. Send them a letter. Tell them that you support this bill. We have links in the show notes so you can go and read the summary and all that good stuff. And, and yeah, I mean, we just, we'd love to get you guys on board with trying to push this because I think if it hits the light of day, if people hear about it, there's nobody who can't support this bill. I mean, yeah, it, Democrats will support this bill. Yep. Republicans will support this Absolutely. bill. Absolutely. Independents will support this bill. Green candidates will support this bill. Hell Taylor yeah. Swift would support this bill. Oh, son of a bitch, it's back. Hey, folks, it's Sense, one third of the Sense and Theory podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, check us out at senseandtheorypodcast.com, where you'll find links to all our social media. You can reach out to us on Facebook, argue with us on Twitter, or send us an angry email. But just knowing you guys are out there keeps us going. 
If you really enjoy the show, hit up patreon.com slash sense and theory and chip in a buck or two for coffee, beer, and the server bill that keeps going up with every subscriber we get. Even if you can't afford to give your monetary support, we'll be here cutting through the bias and extremism to try and find some common ground about things that matter. Thank you.